All right. Well, I'm so thankful to be here with you all today. Um, if you are unfamiliar, how we've been doing the series, we have been doing one week where I'll preach out of John 15, out of this idea of abiding in God's Word. And uh, John 15 has a lot of richness to it, and I think that it just lends itself perfectly to testimony. And so every other week we've gone through a, a scripture lesson and then someone's been sharing their testimony with us. And today uh, we have Miss Cindy Puckett here and she's going to be sharing with us a little bit today. Uh, so uh, Miss Cindy, you kind of have your way of, of starting us off. So I'm not going to beat around a bush. You know what you want to do. So why don't we just get into it? I should have married you. <laughs> oh, man. Buy a nickel for every time I heard that? No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Way to go, Michelle. <laughs> um, okay. I scripted, and I told Jimmy when we met that I knew I could talk to him. I told Jimmy I could talk to him, and I might not could talk to you, but y'all are welcome to listen if you want to. <laughs> That's why we're talking this way today. That's right. Because we're, That's right. you guys just happen to be here. <laughs> Jimmy, when I first read your request for people to help you with this project, I thought it was an incredibly great idea. I read the list of topics more than once and gave these topics a lot of thought. We were in Texas at the time. When I found, what I found was I kept coming back to the conclusion that I couldn't help you. There was really nothing I could find in my life experience that I thought might meet the need you, as you had expressed it in that communication. So I set it aside and did not respond and I did not de delete the email. I often wake up with a song on my mind, and I sing it repeatedly throughout the day. One morning, not long after that email came, the song was The Joy of the Lord. Now, this gave me pause, because I have a special connection with that song. It had been a theme song for me for a significant time, and it remains one of my favorite hymns. I sent you a note saying, basically, that the only thing on that list that I could possibly help you with was the, wor the word joy. And I think I said that my reference would actually be the joy of the Lord. And I know I told you that my story would not be the usual concept of joy as a type of exuberance or excitement. You said you were interested and we would, would like to talk. We talked and here I am. This is a Steve and Cindy story told from my perspective. And it is a deeply personal and painful story for both of us. Now Steve is over there and he knows everything I'm going to say, and he has blessed me in this endeavor. And, Joe, and I'm going to say that Jimmy was a little worried about that. What? I, that is not true. <laughs> I, I know they're good. Okay, okay. We're all good. Yeah. So. Okay, okay, okay. He was yeah. more. It I'm was not just, worried. It was a place we discussed. Yes. That's, yes. that's the accurate statement. Yes. Steve and I met when we were both early admission students at Fried Hardeman College. It was the summer of 1973. We didn't start dating until just about six weeks before we graduated from college. Now, if you're going to do, that's a pretty good time to have yourself a, a plan for your next step. And so we both did. Um, we had our career plans laid out, and they were remarkably compatible. All right. Switch. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's a, that's a Diane request, so you better be, you know. That, well, that. I can see Jimmy now jumping for two, jumping for two girls. <laughs> um, we were both had our career plans and laid, laid out, and they were remarkably compatible. At least it seemed so at the time. 
First, we get our master's degree, Steve at Harding Graduate School of Religion in Memphis, and mine in Memf at Memphis State University. And as you might guess from the name, that school was in Memphis also. And we didn't even plan that. Then we would pursue our doctorate degrees so we would be qualified to teach in a college or a university, preferably a Christian school. Steve, being a full-time preacher, was not even on his plan, Jimmy. I dare not, I, and I dare say I would not have continued to date him, thinking I would be following a preacher from church to church every three to five years for the rest of my life. And to sort of affirm that he was not interested in preaching full-time, I took a long look at his academic ambitions. He was all into languages, French, German, Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. And he wanted to continue his study in biblical language at the graduate level. Now I thought to myself, what church wants to hire a full-time preacher that's majored in ancient Hebrew? Tell me, Jimmy, can you remember the last time you read one of those preacher advertisements that said required skill in reading and translating ancient Hebrew? That's not what I thought. Yeah. yeah, not a lot of demand for that. Yeah. So we set out to execute our plans in just, with just adding in getting married. I had my master's degree, had been working almost a year. We were married, and the plan was proceeding nicely. Within a couple of months after we were married, I was offered a full-time teaching job at Freed Hardman College. And this actually meshed well with our plans because it was a more stable job, and Steve could fairly easily commute to Memphis and finish his degree. He was, all, he was also offered a job at Freed Hardman as a student recruiter with the admissions office, and, and, and the, in that department, he soon became the director of admissions. We both knew this was not his career path. It was just his job until we could finish his master's, until he could finish his master's, and then we would figure out how to both get our next degree. Plan executed on, execution on target. Three years into the gig, I was offered the opportunity to return to graduate school to get my doctorate degree, and Fried Hardeman would pay my tuition, buy my books, and give me half my salary. While I went to school full time, I would then owe them three years of teaching after which I, I could leave debt-free, holding my doctorate degree, and we could then go anywhere we chose for Steve to get his doctorate degree. And I could support him there. I had already completed two summers of that plan at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville and was preparing to return for my third summer when Steve decided he wanted to preach full-time. I tell you this because it's definitely played for the good or the ill into what I thought I sacrificed to come here. And I say that kind of grinning because that, I was a bit of a jerk <laughs> uh, for a while. <laughs> and that's putting it mildly. Um, I'm always nice to myself. <laughs> I don't remember how long he was thinking about it before he told me. I do know that it felt like a bomb had exploded underneath my feet. Before I could barely grasp what was happening, we were moving to Melbourne. I was in a daze that got worse as I pursued a job here. I taught at Johnson Junior High School the first year and then was hired by Brevard Community College to coach women's basketball and teach health education classes. Both were literally miserable places for me. I actually turned down the BCC job the first time because there was no way I was going to coach women's basketball. And about a month later, they offered it again. I, I took it. It was a title, I was a Title IX hire, and I was truly not qualified to coach. Coaching basketball, even women's basketball, even in the 1980s at a small college is a 24-7, 365 days a year job with pressure to win. I stayed with the BCG job for nine years because of, of a, I was assured and threatened 
that I would be fired if I didn't coach. And it remained a miserable place for me overall. Yes, it got better as I learned more and I was, and I was but it was always still a thorn in my flesh. I spent enormous energy plotting my escape. In 1994, after 10 years, I resigned from coaching and waited to be fired. As I had hoped, they didn't fire me. I began teaching full-time, and this is what I most wanted to do, and I cannot describe you what a relief, to you what a relief it was. Now in my mind, we were finally settling in here, both of us. Steve had found his place, or places, very early as the preacher and with new friends through the community service and various other connections, because if you know Steve, he's a connecting kind of guy, and that's, a, that's a, an admirable quality. Uh, he started working with the football team at, uh, at Palm Bay High School, which was a new high school, and then he became a police chaplain, and, and, and there were other places. I had decided about five years in, yes, it took me that long, that I needed to grow where I was planted, and my attitude changed about being here. However, I did not really unwind until the job thing got worked out, and it again appeared that we were on track. Two years later, in August of 1996, um, days before classes began for me, Steve and I suddenly hit a marriage crisis wall. And hitting a wall is exactly the right terminology. Because, Jimmy, when you hit a wall, you not only get knocked down, you get knocked back. <clears throat> and you don't get up. You're dazed, and you don't get up easily. And maybe you're even out cold for a while. Well, it was, a, it was a, a combination of factors, many of which began even before we knew each other. I said we should go to counseling. Steve said, hmm. I said we should go to counseling, and we did. And we stayed there two sessions, and the counselor um, said we should go to individual counseling, and we did. And this time Steve went in wholeheartedly, and I was backing up. We did the couple's... <clears throat> it, was a, oh, it was well over a year before we could even put ourselves back together enough to do the couple's counseling. We did finally get started on that, and we went hard at the beginning, and it, it just continued over six years. Yes, I said six years. While we made progress slowly, it was 10 years before I could say with integrity that the Lord had restored to us the years the locust ate. Now, I, I don't really have good words to describe the devastation I felt and what the journey was like for me. At first, I didn't tell anybody but my sister and my counselor. And it was a long time before I told anyone else. And it was not anybody in Florida. I cannot imagine any situation that could have left me any more lonely, sad, and questioning than I was at that time. We had to rebuild to some extent individually from the ground up and from the marriage perspectively completely from below the ground up. And while it, was un it is almost unbelievable that we could have rebuilt with such blessings that we have now, it is still a painful journey. For it is still painful for me to reflect on the toll it took in so many ways. Now, what does that have to do with joy? <laughs> we'll find out. Well, we're, we're going to work on that. During those dark hours, I was numb, pretty much just going through the motions of the life and barely getting through work, parenting, and church. Children got a lot of attention, though the quality was lacking. Work was on low-energy autopilot, 
Church was the hardest. Church was a place I most needed to, what I put in quotes, play the game as I saw it, and the place where I had the least energy to spend. And that is not a criticism or a negative reflection on the church. That's just where I was at that time. I remember coming to Sunday morning services, sitting in the auditorium, almost always wearing my sunglasses, because in those days I put on my sunglasses when I cried in public. I was, coming, I was continuing to say, I don't know if I can do this, and I'm not even sure I want to. I do remember Keith Davidson, who didn't lead singing all that often, leading the song, The Joy of the Lord, and I latched on to the words in that song. The joy of the Lord will be my strength. I will not falter. I will not faint. He will be strong to deliver me safe. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And I thought, dear God, I don't feel any of the joy we talk about that's being described in Nehemiah or it was in, in other places in the Bible. No enjoyment, no excitement, no exuberance. If I can't find the, jo the Lord's joy, there is no joy for me now. So I chose to think I could hold the joy of the Lord, whatever that was, and find some comfort in Nehemiah saying, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. That was going to have to be my joy. I don't know for sure what takeaway may be relevant for anyone here. I'm not absolutely certain I know my takeaway. When I read the Nehemiah passage that is referenced on the, on the uh, overhead, in the context of a remnant of the Jewish people who had spent 70 years in Babylonian exile and had gone back to Jerusalem to build the wall, rebuild the wall, and when they finished, they gathered and asked Ezra, the priest, to read from the book of the law of Moses. At this reading, the people must have been mourning and weeping because Ezra and Nehemiah both exhort them not to mourn and weep. It appears to me he was comforting them. Nehemiah specifically gave this rationale for his words, for the joy of the Lord will be your strength. And I do not believe the people turned their sadness off like a faucet that day. This passage said to me that I may not feel what is considered joyful, and even, so, I, and even so I can lean on the joy of the Lord to be my strength, until, as the passage you've given us says, that our joy, Jesus will make our joy complete in him. I thought of this, I thought of this as, as an analogy, and I have really struggled with whether to say it because it's pretty silly. A picture that comes to my mind is looking, for a plate, looking at a plate of my favorite food and yet being too sick or too sad to eat. It doesn't change the food or my love or desire for the food. It'll be there and, I'll be, and I will eat it and be nourished by it at some point. I was comforted and encouraged by that knowledge that even when I couldn't grasp the concept of joy, much less experience it at that time, I could still hold on to the idea of the joy of the Lord. I also know that from the moment we pulled out of our drive in Tennessee, hours at our Tennessee house and started on the drive to Melbourne, I was mourning and weeping literally, and that lasted on and off for a long time. And the last round of that seemed pretty insurmountable. In 1994, let's see, let's see one. Make sure I'm on the right page. Not on the right page. So I just kind of have to wing it. 
Yeah, I do. Did, oh, I'm good. Hang on. Just give me a second. I can work. Okay. I uh, don't really have... I don't know where I'm going. Um, I read all that. You were leaving Tennessee? Yes. Drive out of the Tennessee house. Got it right here. That lasted on and off for about... On a, off for, and for periods of 20 years total, all this, all this whole saga was a 20-year sort of thing. But God lightened my load during those years. From the day Steve went to leave, wanted to leave academia and preach, God, I know now God was lovingly guiding us to the place where we would sustain in our darkest hours. At that time, God was loving me and Steve in a very special way. He placed us in this church family where, as I was sitting over there, I, I thought I would tell you we tried to leave. <laughs> we really did. We, Steve, Steve kept right coming in second at these churches where, that we're hanging <laughs> out at. It's funny now, but I don't, I don't yeah. want to see. Can you tell me if he's laughing? He's smiling. <laughs> okay, that's good enough. <laughs> I'm looking at you right now. Okay, we're talking. That, that's a good yeah, thing. Yeah. All right. I needed that break for a second yeah. emotionally, so that's where that came from. He placed us in this church family where we would have a church welcome our adopted girls of color, mm. where we would have the counseling resources we needed, and that was a, a measure of a specialization you didn't find everywhere. And we would have dearest Shirley and David Bradley to take care of our girls when we couldn't. He led me to a stable and flourishing job that, and that in which over time I received promotions that I didn't even apply for. And a church that hung with us while we put our Humpty Dumpty marriage back together, even if it was not apparent the extent to which it had been broken into pieces. And God in his infinite power, wisdom and sovereignty did this in a way that still leaves me awestricken when I think about it. Praise God. I am still com comfort comforted by and seeing the joy of the Lord will be my strength. I will not falter. I will not faint. He will be strong to deliver me safe. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And I say to anyone who might be listening, however you define joy, exuberance, contentment, joy of the Lord, grasp joy and be encouraged and strengthened to abide safely in the shelter of our God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as Jimmy, you have been leading us to do in this sermon series, which, by the way, I think is really good. I appreciate it. I'm finished. Well, I want to, before, before we thank Cindy, I just want to say that, like, it's, <laughs> it's good, you know. Um. It's good to talk about these things and uh, to wrestle with just the reality of, you know, um, joy looks different in everybody. You know, we talked and, you know, it's frustrating sometimes even for me when people look at me and they say I'm a mean looking guy. <laughs> people don't talk to me, which is a frustrating thing because they think I'm upset or I don't want to listen to them, but that's just my face. <laughs> like... I don't know what to tell you guys, but that's just my face. And I do want to hear from you, but I might not always look like it, but I'm trying to. And so I apologize if anybody's afraid to talk to me. It's not, 
it's not like that. But what it, this is kind of affirming to me is that joy just looks so different in everybody. And for you, the word that you keep going back to is comfort and exuberance. It, not, not exuberance. It's this comfort and this strength that you receive only from God. And even in these moments where you're kicking and screaming, saying, no, God, no, God, no, God, God's saying, just hold on a second. I didn't hear him. Right. Yeah, he was saying it. I, I missed it for a long time, but he just kept saying, okay, if you're not going to listen, I'm just going to make it harder on you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just so. hold on a second. And even in these times where you're, you're saying, is there another place for us to be? God's saying, just hold on a second, please. It's okay. when your kids are being so talkative and not actually listening to you. And he's saying, please just trust me because my joy is going to be made complete in you. Jimmy, when we were planning out all we were going to do, our guy was laughing. Mm-hmm. Um, he was saying, yeah, let me just show you what mm-hmm. you're going to do. Um, and and st- part of Steve's testimony has been that he fought preaching, kicking, and screaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, If you're a preacher and you're not fighting it, then I don't think you're going to be a good one, right? <laughs> I don't know. You've got to not want to do this thing. <laughs> but I do, appreci- I, I do appreciate uh, your testimony. And I, and I really hope that everybody is kind of hearing this and saying, you know what, I can connect to that in a very deep way, maybe a little differently. So I want to, let's all thank Cindy here. It's not about clapping and saying you do a good job, but I think it's about saying, like, you got a lot of people that care for you, and sometimes you look around and you say, you know what, the church would be great if there's nobody here. But unfortunately, we're all here, and we're all flawed people. And these flawed people can have the capacity to love deeply, too. And I know that, too from very, very difficult experiences. I really appreciate you sharing that testimony. Let's pray together uh, this morning. Uh, God, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for the story that Cindy is able to share with us. I, I'm so, so thankful the vulnerability that we've had from all these stories to just let your light shine through us, God, because we are flawed vessels, but you make us something more than we could ever be on our own. And God, I thank you so much for that truth. I thank you for these situations where we're kicking and screaming, and you keep saying, abide in me, and I will be in you. My joy is going to be made complete in you. Just sit, sit still and listen and abide. God, thank you so much for that truth. Help us to be more open to that truth in our lives, even when we're kicking and screaming. It's in Jesus that we pray. Amen. And so we do want to offer an invitation like we do every Sunday, uh, that if you do have any needs that you want to be made known for the church, please, we want to invite you to come forward. If you're struggling through a dark time where you're saying, my joy is nowhere to be found, I need the joy of the Lord. I hope that you're able to hear these words that we talked about, the words that we sang communally together, and know that there is a joy to be found. If you have any needs at all, won't you come while we stand and sing?